to Exodus chapter 25 this evening. We're going to look at verses 10 through 22, and we're going to be taking a look at the ark. We're just going to walk through these verses and look around. There, there's no outline to follow. It's very difficult to outline a text like this, and so instead of trying to force some alliteration on it, I just thought we would just walk through these verses together, kind of kick up what's there and take a look at it. And so Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 10, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without, and uh, shalt uh, thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof, and two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, it is our honor and our privilege to gather together in your house as your body. Lord, we trust and know that you have written these things for our learning and for our admonition. I pray and ask, Lord, that we would not only see the beautiful design, but the function and also the prophetic indications that it leaves with us. Father, I just pray and ask that you'll lead us and guide us to study your word diligently, to connect dots, and Lord, to be rewarded by the depth that we put into this study. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. The first item that is of focus in the tabernacle is the ark. Now, last time we talked about the orientation of the tabernacle, and really, if you were to approach the tabernacle, this is not the first thing that you would see. As you walked up to the tabernacle, you would first see that cloth fence that went around the perimeter and then as you entered in through the singular gate on the eastern side there would be a brazen altar where the burnt uh, sacrifice 
sacrifices were made, and, and then there would be a laver of water, this large basin of water where the priests would wash off, and then you would enter into the singular door on the eastern facing side of the tabernacle into the first room, the holy place, and you would have the table of showbread to one side and the incense and the candle, and then you would enter in through this curtain. There was no door, but there was a curtain, and into that second room, there was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this would have been completely secluded, would not have been seen. In fact, it was only allowed for the high priest to go in there uh, once uh, per year on the Day of Atonement. But it is the first item of focus because it is actually what we would consider to be the heart of the tabernacle. Really, the tabernacle is housing this special piece of furniture. It is known as the Ark or the Ark of the Covenant because of the contents that are in it and it really is the most important piece of the entire tabernacle complex as we will see and so in God's design for a, uh, Moses to build these things he, he begins with the very heart of the tabernacle. Uh, ark literally means box. And uh, as you think about that, uh, Noah was told to build an ark, and his ark was to be built out of gopher's wood. And, uh, and his ark, his box was a giant box, right? It was 450 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. It was 45 feet tall. It kind of would have looked like an aircraft carrier, if you will, but that's the term that is used. It's the same term that is used here. We also find that that word ark is used again uh, in Exodus chapter 2 when Moses' mother built an ark out of bulrushes to place her baby in to put him in the river. So again, it is a box that is made. And so uh, ark is somewhat of a general term for box. And so God gave Moses details for the ark. And so, Moses, I want you to build a box. And so that's the generic term, if you will. And then from there, he gives the details of how it is to be constructed. Uh, the material that it was to be made out of was shittim wood, also known as acacia wood. And I'm told that this is a beautifully grained hardwood that was long-lasting. And so, as you and I know, uh, coming from a region where hardwoods grow and furniture is made, there are some that, that last longer than others. There are some that are resistant to rot and deterioration. There are some that have a more beautiful grain to them. And so, this acacia wood was a nice wood that had a beautiful grain and was a, a long-lasting wood. The dimensions that are given are given in cubits, uh, and so I will give you the, uh, the inches since that's what we're more familiar with. The dimensions of the box that Moses is to build is 45 inches long, and then it is to be 27 inches wide and 27 inches tall. So approximately 4 foot by 2 foot by 2 foot, you get the picture in your mind about what size this ark would have been. Literally, it could sit on top of this uh, pulpit here. And so not a super large piece of furniture. Uh, it was 
made out of wood as its frame, but then we are told that it was to be overlaid with gold. It was to be overlaid with a refined pure gold, a gold that had been through the, the smelting process and had removed the impurities and now had been hammered out to where it could be molded and shaped over top of the contour of the box. And so the wooden box is constructed and then the gold is overlaid inside and outside of that box. This serves as a picture of Christ. As I pointed out last week, everything about the tabernacle is pointing us to Jesus, especially the ark. And uh, what we are seeing here by the fact that it is made out of two materials, a wood material and then a gold that is overlaid of it, is a picture of the two natures of Christ. The wood representing his human nature and the gold representing his divine nature. And as you think about about that there are many different correlations that you could make that the uh, the wood is actually something that has life that grows that springs out of the earth out of the dirt uh, the gold is this this material that that we find in the ground in certain places that has this intrinsic value to human beings and they're not making any more of it and it doesn't grow and it doesn't sprout and we don't really know how it formed and how it came together and so by using these two materials God is having them construct this box and it is a point or a picture toward the Lord Jesus Christ and those two natures uh, around the top edge of the ark and so if, if we've got the ark setting here and the box is four foot wide and 27 inches uh, this way and then about 27 inches and the opening is up here at the top uh, the next thing that, that God tells Moses in verse 11 is to, to, to do a decorative gold around the top edge of that box, and he describes it like a crown. And so it is a, is a detail molding, if you will, that goes all the way around the top edge of that box, like a lip, if you will, that's going to receive that mercy seat later. And so this box is made, and then it has this golden crown. And again... It's a picture of Christ's kingship. Why does the box have a crown on it? Why does God refer to it as a crown? Well, Revelation 14, 14 reminds us uh, when it says, I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man having a, uh, on his head a golden crown. Uh, Revelation 19, 16 says that he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so here we have this box that is crowned with a golden crown and we have a savior who is crowned he is the king of kings and lord of lords he has the two natures the human nature and the divine nature and when those were supernaturally melded together at the incarnation they remain for eternity so that when we see Jesus we will see him both in the two natured of his humanity and his deity Next, in verse 12, we are told that the ark is to have two golden rings uh, uh, that are attached to each of the long sides of the ark at the top corner. So again, if the ark is here on the uh, pulpit, you would have 
a ring here and a ring here, and then on this side there would be a golden ring and a golden ring. And so they are near the corners, they are near the top of the box. And the purpose of that is explained in the following verses. And so verse 12, make rings attached to the box. Verses 13 through 15 explain why those rings are there. And so verse 13 tells Moses to make some sticks. And so make these round sticks and to overlay them with gold. So the same material. Out of the acacia wood, make the sticks. Make two rods or rounded sticks out of the acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And then these gold-coated poles were to be inserted into the rings that were on either side of the ark. And so through these two rings would be one gold overlaid pole that went through. And then on this side of the box would be another one that goes through. So that when they were to transport that ark, they would have these handles sticking out that two of the Levites could pick it up and they could carry it. Now... It's interesting, right, that God has these as separate pieces. So he says, put the staves or the sticks or the rods in those rings and leave them there, but they are completely separate from the ark. Interesting design because it makes them able to transport it without actually touching it directly, and we learn the significance of that later on in First Chronicles. If you remember when they were trying to move the ark, it had been displaced. And David wants to bring the ark of God back to the capital. And they were transporting it on a cart. And, uh, and as it was on the cart, the ox stumbled at some point, And there was a man named Uzzah who was close to it. And he reached up and he touched the ark to steady it because he was concerned that it was going to fall off the ark and hit the ground, which you would think would be a good thing. But the Bible actually says in First Chronicles 13.10 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and there he died before God. And so this ark, although it was constructed out of wood and gold, becomes something that is sacred and holy and was not to be touched directly. And so God, in his sovereignty and his wisdom, instructs Moses to build the box, put the rings on the side, and then build these matching sticks or rods that they could insert through so that they could pick up and transport the box but never actually touch the box. By the way, just to, for your own interest, if you are wondering, uh, they did cover the ark when they would move it so before the tabernacle was taken down they had a blanket or a sheet that was made to cover the ark and then the tabernacle would be taken down packed up so that when they carried it it wasn't just carried out in the open exposed it had a covering at times and then they would uncover it at other times like it was leading them into battle. And so this ark becomes a distinctive feature, not just of the tabernacle, but of the nation of Israel. In verse 16, we are informed of the primary contents that are in the ark or in the box. It says in verse 16, Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. The primary contents of the ark were the Ten Commandments. 
Those Ten Commandments are also known as the Book of the Covenant, we find in Exodus 24-7, or the Testimony, as it is called in Exodus 25-16. So the primary contents that went into this ark were Moses' two tablets of stone, those Ten Commandments that were a testimony. You say, why were those in there? Well, those are the contract of the covenant that God made with Israel. What those Ten Commandments were all about was that these were the conditions of God's covenant. I'm going to choose you to be my people, and if you choose me to be your God, then these are the conditions of the covenant. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thyself any graven image. And you know so on and so forth as the Ten Commandments go. And so those are the conditions of the covenant, and they get placed inside of the ark as a perpetual testimony to the covenant that has been made between God and the people of Israel. However, this is not the only item that was placed in the ark. In, in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 3 and 4, we are given some commentary about the contents of the ark. Hebrews 9.3 says, And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein, so inside of the ark, we're told in Hebrews 9.4, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And so... Inside of that ark were the Ten Commandments, and then there was a bowl of manna, and there was Aaron's rod that had sprouted buds. So, the Ten Commandments, what was the purpose of this? Why are they there? Why are these items there? Well, the Ten Commandments were witness to the covenant. And that is the witness that we've made a covenant with God. God's made a covenant with his people. That is the visible testimony, the representation of that. The rod, the rod that budded. Now, remember, this is not Aaron's rod that turned into a snake. There was a time when the priesthood was challenged from the other Levites. And the test was that they were each to take a rod and they were to mark on it to indicate that it was their rod and it was to be laid up and the rod that sprouted buds, the rod that actually came back to life would be the testimony of who was the chosen line of priests. And it was Aaron's rod that budded. That's the rod that is placed into the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was a witness to the Aaronic priesthood. That is, that it was through the line of Aaron that it would be his children and his progeny who would be eligible to be the high priest in future generations. But get this, it is also a witness to the resurrection. That something that was dead is supernaturally brought back to life. 
The manna was a witness of God's provision. If you remember, they had no food in the wilderness and they uh, were not in a place where they could plant and grow and have the agricultural support base that they would later have in the promised land. And so God begins to rain manna down from heaven every single morning, six days a week, not on the Sabbath day. And he does that for 40 years. And so the manna is a testimony of God's provision for his people, but it is also a witness to the bread of life that would later come from heaven. In John chapter 6, Jesus actually references the manna, and he says the true bread that comes from heaven is me. I am the bread of life. So again, the contents of this box are witnessing or testifying to this covenant relationship between God and his people. Next, in verses 17 through 22, the mercy seat is described. What is the mercy seat? Well, basically, elementarily, it is the lid to the box, right? So we have a box that was built that has an open top it's got a decorative crown but the top is open and so the mercy seat is the lid that goes on top of the box it was made out of pure gold no wood in the mercy seat at all it was to be made out of pure gold so it is solid gold lid that goes on the top of this box At either end of the lid were these statues of an angel. And so, if I could represent that, on this end there is a golden angel that is standing. And on this side there's a golden angel that is standing. And those angels are facing each other. And so their faces are turned toward each other. And their wings are stretched up toward each other so that the wing tips are nearly touching on this mercy seat so you've got this pure golden lid of decorative work with the statue angels built into it wings stretched toward one another touching at the wing tips and you know the mercy seat is where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on uh, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So that that mercy seat not only covered the contents of the box and had the statues of angels on them, but it was the place where the blood was to go. And if we were to look at Leviticus 16, and if you're still here in about 12 years when we get to it, we'll see that on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, after cleansing himself, would come in with the blood and he would sprinkle seven times on that mercy seat and so this was uh, the process that God had for atonement that they were to it was to dip his fingers in the blood and to sprinkle it all over that mercy seat that happened on the day of atonement once every year that day is known as Yom Kippur you hear about it sometimes in the news think about this the mercy seat covered the contents of the ark It covered the contents of the ark, including the law. I think there's some significance to that. 
that, that it was mercy that covers the law. The law is there. The law is the foundation. The law is the standard. The law is the contract. The law is the covenant. But they couldn't ever keep the law. They couldn't be saved by the law. And so there had to be mercy that covers the law. And it's no accident that God doesn't just call it the lid. Right? He called the rings the rings. He called the staves the staves. But he called this the mercy seat because it is covering the contents of the box. It's covering the law. And get this, the mercy seat is covered by the blood of a substitutionary sacrifice. You see, that, that golden top didn't stay shiny gold for long. Because every atonement day, blood was sprinkled on. There's no place in the Bible that it ever says it was cleaned off. That that blood stayed as a testimony year in and year out to the substitutionary sacrifice that was made so that God could give mercy to these people who couldn't live up to the law that they had agreed to. Which... Verse 22 made it possible for God to meet with his people there. That's really the culmination of this passage of Scripture as we've been given the details of the ark and of the mercy seat and of the staves that they were used to transport it. God makes this declaration, and there, there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things that I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And again, I, I just want to leave you with this beautiful picture of Christ. Christ is covering the law. Christ, the mercy seat, is a little lower than the angels. He's covered in the blood of the sacrifice. And he is mediating between God and man. I'm telling you, it is one of the most beautiful poetic pictures of Christ in all the Bible. He is the mercy seat. And so I hope that in this short explanation that this gives you a clearer picture of the ark and a greater appreciation of how it points us to Christ. It never ceases to amaze me as I read and study the Bible that God was doing something that functioned for those people right then where they were at. And yet he was giving us a type, a a. a, a symbol a signal that was pointing us to Christ so that when Christ would come and we would begin to look at Christ and try to understand what all he is and all he does for us that we look back into these Old Testament passages and we can say he's like the Passover lamb he is like the ark that Noah built he is like the mercy seat that makes it possible for us to have communion with God I'm telling you Jesus is on every page of this book and that's why in Luke 24 when he walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus 
and they were distraught and they said he's been crucified and he's been dead three days and now his body is missing that the bible says that jesus began with moses and explained to them christ in all the scriptures and so you've got a picture of christ in this passage on the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat let's thank god for that Lord, thank you so much for all of the object lessons that you have given to us. You created us, you made us, and you didn't make, just make us cerebral, or you didn't just make us to where we uh, audit things by sound, but you also made us visual. And you know that we learn and take in so much by visual effects and visual aids. So much so that you gave us these visual aids all along the way so that when Christ would come, he would be recognized for who he is and what he is and how that he has fulfilled every typology that was given in Scripture. Father, I just pray that it would deepen our appreciation, our love, our admiration for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We wholeheartedly believe that he is our only hope of salvation, that without him we are absolutely doomed to hell, and we believe that he's our only hope for our nation. Lord, we're living in a tumultuous time that every week brings headlines that break our hearts and shock us to our core to imagine that human beings could perpetrate such atrocities on one another. And while our politicians pontificate about what laws would restrain such actions, we know that only Christ can change the heart of sinful men and women. And it's our desire for our country, our world, to know and love the Savior. And so, Father, I just pray and ask that you would fill us up with so much appreciation and admiration for Christ that we can't help but talk about him to our friends, our families, our neighbors, and even strangers on the street. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would